0: Welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, November 26th, 2017. I'm your host, Maddie Love. My guest is Nick Fish, National Program Director for American Atheists. This is a special holiday episode because I'm coming to you from the past. This entire episode was recorded on November 11th while I was at Skepticon 10 in Springfield, Missouri. The conversation between Nick Fish and myself went longer than I have radio time for, so we did edit it down a bit, just a bit. The complete episode will be available at 10 a.m. this morning on our podcast feed, which you can find by heading over to mnatheists.org and clicking on the News and Media tab. From there, you will find links to our show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. While we love doing live radio, we hope to have more conversations like this episode, where we are able to meet face-to-face and have conversations like the one I'm about to play. Normally, we would welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls, but as this is a pre-recorded episode, there won't be anyone on our end for you to talk to. We do still welcome your emails, though, to radio at mnatheist.org, your tweets to atheist talk, or send us a message over at www.facebook.com slash AtheistTalk. So, without any further introduction, here's my conversation with Nick Fish, National Program Director for American Atheists, recorded Saturday, November 11th at Skepticon 10. Well, welcome everyone to this pre-recorded episode of Atheist Talk. I'm Maddie Love, and I'm coming to you from Springfield, Missouri, and Skepticon 10. I'm really happy to be sitting here having an in-person, actual face-to-face conversation with Nick Fish, National Program Director for American Atheists. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time out of what looks like a really,
1: really busy day to sit down and chat. It's a really busy day. It's been like a really busy month, year, everything. Uh, I'm I'm sort of still trying to figure out exactly what day it is. Uh, it, it, everything just sort of blurs together and it, it feels like days feel like months. Months feel like decades. Uh, you know, you know how it is.
0: Well, it, today is actually November 11th. Maybe sure, we'll go with yeah. that. I it's, saw a Stranger Things pun that said you can only use this today,
1: and it had the character 11. Oh, okay. That, it's, it probably is. I I, I don't want to get out my phone even to look because <laughs> I it's I I worry that I would sort of spiral down into a. Uh, 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 an attitude of self-loathing and and fear and and just you know devastation at what day that's only it's only been a year of this (laughs) so for anyone
0: unfamiliar or maybe first-time listener somebody who just stumbled across this episode when it comes out of the podcast can you
1: describe who
0: american atheists
1: is Yeah. Um, so American Atheists is a national organization that is dedicated to, uh, promoting atheism in the United States, um, and making it easier to be an atheist in the United States. Um, so we do uh, we do work on sort of two sides of the same coin. On the one on the one hand, we want to make it easy for Americans to be atheists. We want to make it uh, more socially acceptable for people to come out as atheists. We want to make it easier for the next person to come out as an atheist, and we want atheists to be part of the conversation. So when um, members of the media or politicians or uh, basically anyone in in the public sphere is thinking about how they're going to interact in public, how they're going to put together events, how they're going to do anything. Um, they think about, oh wait, there are atheists here. And it it stops being such a surprise that there are atheists in every single community in this country. That's that's number one. Um, number two is on the public policy side and on the legal side. Um, where we we advocate for an absolute separation of church and state. Um, we advocate for no religious religious exemptions, no special treatment for religion. Um, Your belief in God is not a get-out-of-the-law-free card. Um, We take the absolutist position that um, these sorts of um, special exemptions and special treatment are bad policy and they're often unconstitutional, um, but they're universally bad policy because it forces the government to pick and choose whose religious beliefs are legitimate and which religious beliefs are entitled to that sort of special treatment. and. That's not a position I think any of us want the government to be in. Um, the government doesn't make good decisions about these things sometimes. Um, you know, I, I don't remember who it was that said this, but you know, do you want a government who that is currently led by a man who thinks that um, global warming is a Chinese hoax designed to drive up the price of tungsten? Do you want him making the decisions about what his administration making the decisions about what is a legitimate belief to have? And that's that's what they're doing right now. And that's what they constantly do with giving special treatment to folks who oppose LGBT rights, folks who oppose a woman's right to to make her own decisions about her body. That's what they're doing. They're saying these are legitimate objections to have, but objecting to something like blood transfusions, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, or objecting to mental health treatment, if you're a Scientologist, or objecting to any number of things, um, those aren't as legitimate. You don't get special treatment for those. And that's that's a really dangerous position for the government to be in. And you know we care very deeply about the First Amendment. We care about the right for everybody to believe whatever ridiculous thing they want to believe. But it doesn't mean that they're given the right to then get out of the law, the law the law exists for a reason, and we can have a debate about whether the law is a good idea. But once we pass a law, it should apply to everyone equally. And you know that that's the that's an easy position to defend, I think, uh, because it's a position rooted in equality.
0: So you're not even coming out and saying, and by you I mean just American atheists, coming out and saying that people shouldn't be allowed to exercise their religion just that we shouldn't have a government in power making laws where they prefer one religion or another and they shouldn't have those, like religion X's law or rules shouldn't apply to you and it shouldn't apply to me and they should, that the laws should be equal regardless yeah. of what they believe.
1: That That's exactly correct. And, and, you know, they were, we're often scapegoated or, or straw manned as, you know, trying to promote atheism, wanting the government to promote atheism. And this is you know, a distinction that we have to draw and, uh, and a line that we have to be clear on, uh, the government being neutral on religious matters, the government not saying a word about religion is not an, an endorsement of atheism as our friends on the religious right would, would have you believe a pledge of allegiance that says one nation under God is promoting religion, a pledge of allegiance that says one nation indivisible and then is silent is neutral. It's not an atheist pledge. An atheist pledge would be if we said one nation in which there is no God, indivisible. <laughs> and and you notice that the American atheist is not putting out that position because it's ridiculous. Um, we're not saying that the government should ban churches. We're not saying that the government should even force um, a pastor to marry you know, a, a gay couple if they don't want to. That's Ridiculous. We already have in place civil rights laws, right? That prevent a, uh, a public accommodation from discriminating against, uh, an interracial couple. But even with that in place, if I'm a, if I'm a pastor of a church. You're not forcing me to marry an interracial couple if it's against my religion. It, it hasn't happened. And so these alarmists who, you know, light their hair on fire every time a, a new civil rights law is passed or any time LGBT equality laws are proposed saying this is going to lead to pastors being imprisoned. It's like, I, I'm never sure if they're just lying to us or or to themselves. They've convinced themselves that this is true. It, it's never happened. And, uh, you know, and so we have to draw that distinction. We have to be clear about what the like opposite sides are and what the middle is. And the, the, this is sort of the problem with being like rational and, and try, like actually having a well-thought-out position is we're already in the middle. And so it's hard to like the, people f- look for the fallacy of the middle and they say, well, this other side is, arg- is arguing for Christian supremacy. This, the atheist groups are arguing for something presumably it's atheist supremacy because the other side is arguing for Christian supremacy and you just want to like grab them by the shoulders and say, no, this that's we're, we're arguing the middle. We're already in the middle. Uh, you know, think through the argument before you, before you open your mouth, think about what you're saying. And it, it really is pretty clear. So, you know, the, the position that we're staking out obviously is like I said, people view it as absolutist, but all it is, is consistent and about equality. Um, I don't have uh, religious beliefs. I don't. I don't believe in God. So all these exemptions aren't accessible to me, and you know that's that's not fair. Um, I, I should. I have to follow the law. Um, and this guy over here who believes that someone told him he can't do X, Y, or Z, or that he must do A, B, and C is given special treatment for some reason. Um, that that's unfortunate, and that puts the government in a in a weird position.
0: I was trying to explain this to somebody at work, as somebody who smokes occasionally, <laughs> and they didn't. Uh, we were looking out at the people smoking outside, and they were taking like four times as many breaks as the rest of us. and our argument was no, wait a minute, you can still smoke. You just have to smoke on your break. What? We're all gonna get the same number of breaks. We're not telling you you can't smoke. We're not telling you you not to I don't want you to have to take a position on smoking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and atheist Sock would like to remind you that you should be healthy and everything. but like <laughs> like the idea was like, we should all, all, these breaks should apply to everybody. If you choose to, to do whatever, that's you on your time, but let's have equal, equal representation and equal treatment under the law.
1: That, that's, a really like, that's a really elegant uh, sort of cross example that I hadn't even thought of that's, like, that's perfect uh, because I think everyone has had this experience, right, where you work in an office and there are the smokers who go out and they, 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 they walk away from their desk for 10 minutes every hour and you're sitting there plugging away on your on your work and going, why am I working? And it's it's and it's an extra hour over the course of the day that this person isn't working. And could you imagine if you got up to take a bathroom break every well, ten minutes, ten minutes out of every hour? Um, and and I've actually I have seen um, a discussion uh, in the last week or so, I think, that was um, if people didn't smoke, the uh, the company gave them an extra vacation days because they worked out like how often or how many how much time on average these smoke breaks were costing them because they weren't making people punch out to go smoke and they weren't holding them accountable and making them only take those pre-designated breaks. And they said, okay, it adds up to four days over the course of the year or whatever. And so we're going to give you non-smokers an extra four, four days of vacation, which I think is a pretty like elegant way of solving the problem. Um, But that's exactly it. You know, we're saying work the same time, smoke. If you smoke them, if you got them, but smoke them when you're supposed to, and that's if that's the rule, that's the rule. Um, and you know, employers can make accommodations for religious beliefs if they want to. Um, and you know, it's not to say that, and and there are certainly examples of people um, being discriminated against because of their religion. And you know, there are times when the government needs to step in and ensure that people aren't being unfairly discriminated against. Um, simply because of something that, you know, is, can be sort of camouflaged as neutral, but isn't. So when you say, you know, you can't wear, um, any headgear ever, it's like, well, that's pretty clearly targeted at like two religions. Right. Um, or, uh, if the, if the job is okay, you have to work on Saturday. Um, if they can make an accommodation, that'd be, that'd be better. But if you're hired for a job that you know the biggest demand is on Saturday, and you're Jewish, like I'm sorry, you—it's <laughs> hard to do the job. And you know there's a balance to be struck for some of that. Um, but you know the laws that apply to people, the laws that apply to individuals—you um, know those are the ones that we don't want exemptions. Um, those are the ones you know, especially when it relates to imposing another burden on a third party. So the, the example that comes up a lot right now is um, the affordable care acts um, contraception mandate um, where the exemption that's in there uh, was in the original law was that religious employers so churches and religious schools even could not offer contraception as part of their um, part of their health insurance plan and the government or the insurance agent, the insurance company would actually pick up the tap. Okay. I mean, you know, it's kind of annoying that they have this exemption, but people aren't, women aren't being burdened by this. People are still getting access to care if they want it. Um, but then the little sisters of the poor said, oh, even claiming this exemption by filling out the form indicating that we're doing it, that that we want the exemption, and then that would allow our employees to get the contraception, that makes us complicit in evil, in a moral evil. And it's like, i I'm sorry, filling out a form saying, hi, I'd like this ex- exemption that you've given me is not a burden. And at some point, the court has to stand up and say, and look at the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that says that it has to be a substantial burden on religious exercise and say, okay, common sense dictates this is not a significant burden, regardless of what you think. Because in the, in that, in that decision, in the, in the Hobby Lobby decision, the court said only the adherent to the religion can make the determination about whether it is a substantial burden and if it is against their religion and the factualness of the belief has no bearing. And so we, uh, we had, um, a really good question from, um, Senator Mazzi Hirono from, uh, Hawaii who asked Jeff Sessions about this matter because they, the justice department put out this memo, um, for religious freedom guidance, uh, that's just a dumpster fire. Um, and said you know is it how do we determine what is a, re- a reasonable belief um would would the justice department advise health and human services to grant an exemption um for a vaccination requirement for a person who has the demonstrably false view the demonstrably false belief that all vaccines contain fetal stem cells and cause autism would we grant an exemption would you is that a burden on their religious freedom to require that they have their children vaccinated? And, you know, he, he hadn't thought of that. And it's because, you know, the thing, only things he thinks about or the only things that they're, they're thinking about right now are what one particular version of Christianity thinks about. And that's as it relates to LGBT people and women's reproductive health. That's like all they think about. They don't think about all these other organ, all these other religions that exist that have, just as legitimate views and when i say legitimate i mean illegitimate just like the, <laughs> the the anti-lgbt and anti-women views um the constitution doesn't make a distinction between the beliefs of evangelical christians and scientologists and jehovah's witnesses and and christian scientists they're all exactly the same as far as as far as legitimacy is concerned as far as deference is concerned and you know our view is that they shouldn't be given deference because and as soon as you start giving deference to one of them by not giving deference to the others, you're showing favoritism. You're, you're violating the establishment clause. You're violating equal protection. Um, and it opens the government up to all sorts of um, either lawsuits or um, where the law just has no meaning. Um, the law can be just set aside because someone says, Oh, that's a burden. And Rifra, the religious freedom restoration act, the way it's being interpreted by the court right now almost gives them the ability to do that—to just say, "Well, it's a burden. Too bad." <laughs> and so that—that's obviously a, a huge concern right now. So
0: normally, when listeners—normally um, when listeners of atheist talk hear, hear your voice, it means the show's about to be over. <laughs> <That's, you laughs> Sorry, everyone. You—you
1: you got some time. Uh, we're going to be here for a while. Get a cup here. of coffee. Get a cigarette if you need it. Don't—don't <laughs> don't take the break yet, though. We, <laughs>
0: Well, you're the primary host for American Atheist Viewpoint. Um, as of the time of this recording, this is when we talked, it's November 11th, 2017. You have episode published 63 episodes um, of American Atheist Viewpoint. And so I, I'm curious, why did you decide to do a podcast? Like, What was driving you to say, hey, you know what? We would need to get this voice out there.
1: Well, I, I think the, the, the most obvious answer is that I love hearing myself talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I thought that uh, the the people of of uh, out there in Radio Land deserve to hear my uh, resonant baritone more often than they were. Uh, no, I mean the real the real answer is um, it's important that our positions are out there. It's important that people are hearing um, what's going on in Washington D.C. Um, it's important that um, everyone knows what's going on in our nation's capital, but also in states across the country. Because too often we hear what's going on. Um, in this era of Trump, um, we get the news that, you know, some ridiculous tweet has happened uh, and the scandal of the day is what dominates the news. And you don't hear about what's happening in the states across the country where, um, you know, uh, where a, a girl, uh, a high school student is being Uh, Bullied and harassed for three years for sitting down uh, for the Pledge of Allegiance or in Louisiana where um, students are being threatened with disciplinary action for uh, kneeling during the pledge and are kneeling during the anthem and are being subjected to a prayer before every football game. Um, You don't hear about um, a religious uh, religious conference in uh, Kansas City, Missouri uh, being funded by taxpayers um, you don't hear about these stories because they're localized, and the megaphone that the president has uh, to drown out everything else with ridiculous tweets um, is is a really big deal um, because it, it distracts, and I don't want to imply that his tweets aren't a big deal because sometimes they are. Um, he makes policy via tweets. He makes... He discriminated against an entire class of active duty service members and potential service members by banning trans people from serving in the military with a tweet. Um, and that's, you know, that's been put on hold right now, but, um, these sorts of things are both relevant to policy topics, but also distractions. And it's really important that we're trying to amplify as best we can. Um, these issues that matter to f- far more people than, um, we sometimes get credit for, um, there are millions and millions of atheists and secular people out in the country who don't know or don't hear what we're doing, and so every opportunity we can take to um, elevate the stories of people who are um, being discriminated against or being impacted by Christian supremacy and religious supremacy in this country you know we we have to take that opportunity
0: so right now, your show is it's about eight and a half minutes long because it takes up our last segment and you're kind of constrained on the time because of the radio.
1: It's a good thing I can talk pretty fast.
0: <laughs> you do, talk, but you're also very concise and you enunciate well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I have, I have a, a voice and a face for radio. That's the important thing to note here.
0: <laughs> this is actually the first time I've I have <laughs> yeah. seen you outside of like not. Well, actually, it's the first time I've seen you in person. in person. Yeah, it's also the first time I've seen you in like without being in a suit.
1: Yeah. Well. It, yeah. I, I live in it normally. Um, it's sort of a. It's actually on underneath the shirt I'm wearing right now. <laughs> Um, I, I have to buy my polo shirts one size bigger, uh, so I can get the suit on underneath it. I don't, you know, you never want to be, yeah, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's sort of like a reverse Clark Kent thing where I, I tear off and then there's just a suit underneath and I, you know, look like a reporter or something. Religious
0: Uh, discrimination.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not even, I'm not a lawyer. We need to, I need to have our lawyers do that. (laughs) Religious discrimination, uh, you know, is happening somewhere. I I can, I can sense it. I need to, I need to hop into action.
0: So you've got all this stuff to talk about. Like, have you thought about doing... Like something longer than eight and a half minutes at any point.
1: Yeah, and and it's something that we're working on right now. Actually, um, trying to get it off the ground um, and and getting to the point where there's too much to talk about. Uh, like you said, in in eight and a half minutes every week. Um, it's one of those things where if I could just live stream, uh, my thoughts for the entire week and and just have people drop in, I think I would still not have enough time to cover what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're looking right now at, um, at expanding to about half an hour, um, at a minimum once a week. Um, and we may even go further than that. Um, the other thing that I think is really important as far as connecting with people is doing the sorts of live Q and A's, um, that, uh, that that other groups are doing, and that um, some other media groups are doing, because it's there. There are so many questions out there, and there is no stupid question. Um, we we have we get so many questions. We we respond to dozens and dozens of inquiries um, every single week, um, and and uh, maybe hundreds every week, depending on how <laughs> how much we've been in the news. I suppose um, about legal matters, about political matters, about uh, group dynamics about how to build an effective local group about how to um, lobby your, your member of Congress, how to talk to your city council, how to do social events, how to provide social support for um, folks in, in our communities, how to make our groups welcoming and the list just sort of goes on and on and that's that's a really important thing for those of us on the national stage, those of us who are um, working on these issues nationally, um, it's important for us to remember that so much of what happens is local. And that at the bottom, at the baseline or at the, at the, at the very foundation of this are dedicated people who are doing everything they can to change, to change the way that their city or their town or their school board or their state change the way that they do business. Sometimes we get too focused on what's going on nationally um, because there's just so much and because it's huge and it's loud and that's what the media covers um, but the the local groups are the ones who can really affect policy change that can have a huge difference in your day-to-day life. Um, you're probably not going to encounter uh, an, an interaction with the federal government all that often um, or, and, and with federal policy all that often. but the local non-discrimination ordinance is something that you're going to run into, right If your town has a law that prevents, Housing discrimination again on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation, and you're a member of that community, that's a big deal for you. Um, if you're in a public school and they're teaching junk um, junk science, and I'm you know science is in air quotes here um, for sex education, you know we can look at the numbers and see that children are harmed by that. And so that's why, in addition to working at the national level, um, it's been so important for us to. Make this pivot that we're making right now to focus a lot on local issues and give resources to our affiliates and give resources to local activists who are again just chipping away at the stuff and need every need all the help they can get because there's so much that needs to be done at the local level, um, and so we've hired a. Um, Hired a local organizer. We've hired a national national field organizer. Um, we've hired. Uh, we're, we're staffing up our state directors. We're adding state and assistant state directors um, in cities, um, so that there's a, a direct line from the affiliates to a person who has been briefed on things that we're working on and can get in touch with us and knows what's going on and who can help and can connect us and can get in touch with the press and can elevate the voices of these local activists. And this is the really important thing. And the thing I'm really excited about can put them in touch with national, other national groups and other national groups chapters um, and can work on things where there's overlap. So um, and I talked about sex ed we're, we just put out a toolkit um, where we're, we're trying to improve the quality of, of sex education in public schools by getting rid of abstinence only until marriage Sex education and replacing it with education that's rooted in science, that's rooted in medicine, uh, that's evidence based, that is peer reviewed, um, and actually works and accomplishes the things that sex education is allegedly supposed to want to do. Um, And in doing so, we've worked with Planned Parenthood, we've worked with NARAL, we've worked with um, other advocacy groups in this space who are the experts. But we're encouraging atheists to show up for these things. And be allies and be heard and be visible as atheists so that when something happens for us where when a big issue comes up that's atheist e <laughs> that's atheist focused um, that, that we have allies we have friends here we, we can't win any of this alone even in the most you know robust estimates or the most um, you know high you know pie in the sky estimates of how many atheists there are it's still a, a significant minority of Americans. Um, you know, if it's a quarter of Americans, that's like, oh my God, we're, that's huge, but it's still only a quarter of Americans and we're up against 70% Christians. We can't accomplish anything unless we've got Christians who agree with us on the issues working with us. And so, you know, there's a time and a place for religious criticism and there's a time and a place for trying to, uh, get people to believe fewer incorrect things. Uh, but there's also a time and a place to, improve policy and work together with people who we disagree with on this one thing uh, to improve the lives of people um, as it relates to things like medically accurate sex education, like um, equality ordinances and like, and like, and like.
0: I found um, when I first came out as an atheist, probably like five years ago, I was a very, very like, ain't like many atheists that come out. I was very angry and very like, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to work with a Christian organization or whatever. But as I found personally in my personal life as a trans woman, I find sometimes, especially with some of the divides in the atheism community right now, I find sometimes that I'm working alongside religious organizations for equality stuff or for, you know, to, to gain access for, for equal rights on, on something. And that's something I never thought I would do, but I, I see what you're saying. It's like some of those organizations, they are, are also would like to see a separation of church and state. If nothing else, because like some of my friends, their religion that they are is not the religion that's currently in power. Right. So they recognize that, you know, it would be better for everybody to have a secular framework.
1: Right. And that's that's what we're the way that we try to approach this is um I don't I don't want to tell someone that they don't have a right to be angry because so many people have been hurt by religion. And it's the pendulum in some respects has swung too far to one direction in um, some of the LGBT spaces that I've been in uh, where they're doing everything they can. They're bending over backwards to be accommodating to religious groups and to be conspicuously religious. And um, we we ran into this uh, when I went to a a conference uh, for LGBT activism and everything was steeped in religion. And when someone gets up on stage that is an official representative of the group and says something like, you know, we're all God's children, um, each and every one of us, uh, we all share a common bond through, you know, and they they talk in language like that, that that, sa- that talks about how we're all God's children and we're all, you know, we all have the same, we all breathe the same uh, or have that the thread that ties us all together and that's God. Um, it's It's really disenchanting for those of us who are not religious and who are um, not just those who are religious aren't religious but those who have been harmed by religion who have every right to be angry, who have every right to not want to have anything to do with that sort of conspicuous overt religious speech in that religious context in a place that should be welcoming for everyone. And, you know, the, the upshot of that, the, I guess the, the silver lining is that thankfully most people, as soon as you bring this up to them, uh, recognize it and you can basically just say, Hey, I I know you probably haven't thought of this. Let me, let me, let me shine a light on this for you. Let me, let me tell you what it feels like when you're a person who's in this position, who's had this experience. Um, and now you're, you're forcing, you're forcing me back into another closet um, you're not allowing me to be authentic because everything is just Christian, 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 and you're trying to be inclusive, but what you're doing is excluding. And you know, the thing in the LGBT community, uh, half of the LGBT community is non-religious, about a third are atheists. Um, like it's, it's like huge numbers. And so when they do this sort of thing, it's not like, oh, you're, you're, you're alienating a substantial minority of your population. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're actually alienating half the majority of people don't want this. And while it's good that there are now religious people who are joining us in the 21st century, welcome. Thank you. um, (laughs) It's, it's not productive to bend over backwards for those people who were late to the party. Um, it's not productive to, to alienate those of us that don't want anything to do with that, you know, reach out to those folks, bring them in, but be truly inclusive. Think about the type of inclusion you're doing. Think about the type of outreach you're doing. Um, think about the message you're sending. Um, and this is another important point, um, when it relates, as it relates to, um, like sort of collective mourning, Type things and like community vigils and community events, um, especially since we're we seem to be having you know this mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting, um, and and we brought this up as it, when it when it when it happened in Las Vegas um, because Las Vegas is a city that doesn't have a huge religious population or or, sin city, yeah, or, or rather, I mean, it, it, you know, and and we can joke about it, but like there are, there's a substantial number of people who are non-religious in, in Las Vegas. Um, And this happened after the Boston marathon bombing where the atheists in the community said, you know, we're hurting too. We want to take part in this vigil and, you know, maybe vigil isn't the best word, but you know, everyone knows what that is. It, It doesn't necessarily imply a religious connotation. It's just, it is what it is. And the government puts together the state government or the local government puts together a a community morning event and says, okay, we're going to do, we're going to have this be interfaith. And their definition of interfaith is that they invite a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Baptist, and a Catholic. And you say, and, 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 and then they add in, you know, a rabbi and you're like, okay, well, what about this? Literally a third of people in, in your city, who are non-religious? Who the words of these people are going to, the words of these religious leaders are going to not provide any sort of solace, and they 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 think wrongly that an atheist is going to get up there, and you know, be denigrating to religious communities and not be comforting, and they sort of mistake our worldview for something that's cold and impersonal. And instead, they, we, we, we will like send them video or audio recordings of someone giving a eulogy um, in a secular tradition and talking about how, uh, you know, we, we have this one life together. The memories of the people who we love are the things that continue on and, you know, relying on one another for support um, and and grief in, in this time you know, like that's the sort of thing that happens. And, and that's a message that applies to everyone. And it's a, it's a message that we really need desperately to hear in some of these, um, in, in some of these events. And to the credit of many of the organizers after the pulse shooting, um, organizers in places like Washington, DC, we reached out to them and said, you know, again, the LGBT community, um, you know, is largely non-religious. Here's a person who we'd like to recommend and it you know there there are humanist chaplains at countless universities throughout the country who are trained to do exactly this who are trained to provide solace and and words of uh, words of comfort for people of all faiths and when we say all faiths we actually mean all faiths not just all monotheistic faiths or not all theistic faiths but actually all faiths um to talk about our shared experiences to talk about our shared humanity to talk about um, what it means to be part of this community um, and, and and that's that's a really important message for us to 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 really elevate um and and to be outspoken about and to insist that we're a part of it. and um you know that's sort of the it's important work, but it's it it's that's hard, you know when when that's the sort of thing that that you have to um, you have to reach out constantly um, for death and and you know, The destruction of communities um, at the hands of people who are um, intent on committing horrendous acts of violence.
0: The uh, transgender day of remembrance every year is November twentieth. Right. Uh, I've never gone to one because in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, they're always in churches. It's it's at a church, and it's a great church from what from what I understand. They're very open, but I don't find solace in hearing a bunch of people tell me that. People I care about are in a better place because it's not what I believe. I feel like it's a lie. And it's like I will do better, honestly, with finding a group of friends and just talking about their lives and talking about how horrible it is. And so, you know, you were talking about, you know, inclusion and true inclusion. Well, true inclusion, like you said, that's we're part of that.
1: Oh, Atheists uh, are part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, I've, I've had so many conversations and it's, it's interesting that you mention uh, the trans day of remembrance because that's, um, literally the first event that someone within the LGBT community, a, an interfaith organizer who was a pastor. Um, I was at a, um, it was a faith leaders event, um, for the LGBTQ task force. And this pastor came up and said, um, I appreciated that you brought up, I'm talking to me. I appreciated that you brought up real inclusion. And it's, I had honestly never thought about it. And we had done our best. We, we try every year to include as many different faiths. And I had, it had never occurred to me that this sort of language would be divisive or that would potentially be hurtful for people who, you know, were supposed to be helping here and were supposed to be remembering. And now that you say it, I, I can't help but think, oh my God, what, what, what was I thinking? Of course I should have known this. And I said, you know, the fact that you're talking to me right now indicates that you're like doing the right thing. And she wanted to know, okay, how do I do, how do we do this better? Because we want to include everyone. And so it's, you know, it's good to um, give people um, at least the benefit of the doubt to start. <laughs> right. Um, because, you know, again, in, in these, in most of the time, in my experience, people want to do the right thing. And all, all you have to do is show up and uh, do some educating and you know that's a hell of a burden to put on people sometimes um, where you've spent your entire life like educating people <laughs> about like about the basics and it, it should be 101 stuff but sometimes it isn't. And so we those of us who are in positions of you know privilege or positions of uh, with with resources have to do a better job of doing some of that lift um, for people who have historically been doing all the lifting. Um, and and that's, that's one of the things that really guides me in um, trying to do this sort of thing and trying to make these events more inclusive. Um, but, um, you know, and, and if we can move the needle a little bit at a time, that's, that's important because it's, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, we still get people saying, uh, thinking that, you know, at a, at a day of remembrance, um, an atheist is going to get up there and say, well, everyone's dead and there's nothing you can do about it, and that's it's it's sort of it's the straw man. Um, it's right. it's what they think we're trying. You know, it's, it's same thing with one nation in which there is no God. Like that's not what we're saying. We're saying we're we're, we're staking out the middle, and we're going to defend that part, that position, and all we want is true inclusivity. And you know, we're not trying to push an atheist agenda. We're trying to be inclusive, um, and that that's really important.
0: Well, actually, when you say we're not trying to push an atheist agenda, I feel like the atheist agenda is inclusivity. Right. Uh, it's yes. <laughs> no, but I understand what you're saying. We're not trying to push the atheist agenda as as painted the straw man, you know, by the religious right.
1: That's right, yes. <laughs> it's like, the it's atheist like, agenda is not what you think it is. It's uh, like the gay yeah.
0: agenda is like, make everybody wear mascara
1: Yeah, and... <laughs> At best, it's brunch. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: well, I can't keep you here forever, um, but before, before I let you go, I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about... The Johnson Amendment. Yeah. Because most as of this recording at least, most of the episodes that you've done for a Macron Atheist Viewpoint lately have been on this. But and I don't mean that as far as like a like a, as a negative thing to tell right. you most. It's It's really important, but I wanted you to have a chance more to talk about, like, why do you keep having to to talk about this?
1: Yeah, so this has been, it's one of the few actual policy positions that Donald Trump articulated during the campaign other than, uh, you know, building a wall and making Mexico pay for it. Um, His promise to totally destroy the Johnson Amendment uh, was one of the few things. And I I think it's, it's indicative of the support that he had from a certain segment of the religious right. Um, they're the only ones who care about this thing. Um, And and for anyone who isn't familiar, the Johnson Amendment is the requirement that churches, houses of worship, 501c3 uh, organizations, which are organizations where you get a tax deduction for donating to us, like American atheists.
0: Like Minnesota atheists. Like
1: Minnesota atheists. um, We're not allowed to engage in electoral politics. I'm not allowed to say, as a representative of American atheists, go vote for this candidate, um, whether it's at the federal level, whether it's at the local level. We can't do it. And churches, for the most part, um, almost almost uh, universally, um, almost unanimously, support this. They don't want to wade into politics. They don't want to get engaged in this because they know it would divide their congregations along political lines. And that's the last thing they want right now with <laughs> the, the number of people who are already in their pews vastly declining. The last thing they want to do is alienate half of them. Um, and so when when we look at this and, and we've been monitoring this since the election, um, there have been multiple attempts now to repeal the Johnson amendment or undermine it. And what's happening right now is the most concrete um, steps uh, that we've seen being taken. Uh, there was a rider attached to an appropriations bill that went through the house that would have forbid the IRS from spending any money enforcing the Johnson amendment on churches Um, in this tax cut bill, the tax cut and jobs act. uh, The first draft of the bill had a section, the second to last page of the bill that would have allowed churches and churches only um, houses of worship to endorse political candidates in the regular course of business um and only if it if it they incurred a de minimis amount of expense. So regular course of business they defined as during a homily or preaching or uh, education or things like that. Um, de minimis means you can spend some money but not much. but it's not well defined. It's just sort of you know, whatever. Now the problem with this is um, regular course of business can include things like, going door to door and knocking on people's doors and preaching to them. Um, golly, I I seem to think there's a rather politically involved religious group that does this, uh, with, and has a highly successful Broadway play about them, right? (laughs) I have I've heard rumors and as a person who's worked on political campaigns, I can tell you that a robust field campaign of door to door canvassing is both expensive and difficult to do and hard to get volunteers for and exhausting. Um, I did it in North Carolina in the 2008 election and burned through three pairs of shoes in a month because we were walking you know, three, three, three to four miles every single day for a month um, and, and had a staff of 50 doing it, and we knocked on like 30,000 doors. Um, the, it, it's a lot, but when you're threatening people with hell, um, <laughs> you're going to have some pretty willing volunteers, weirdly. Um, And so like this isn't just, you know, a guy getting up in front of the church and saying, oh, by the way, go vote for congressman X. It's potentially people going door to door uh, in canvassing and, you know, not spending any money. Well, we wouldn't know if they were spending any money, would we? Because they don't keep their finances open. We don't, they don't fill out IRS form 990. They don't have to do the same things we do to get their tax exempt status. They just have to say, well, I'm a church and it's not hyperbole to say that this would turn every single church in America into a super PAC. And what's more, it would encourage more churches to be created out of nowhere that suddenly have deeply held religious convictions that require them to go door to door, door to door talking about political campaigns. Um, and that's obviously an issue now they've passed an amendment in, in committee that, uh, expands the exemption now from just churches to all 501 C threes. And while that makes it potentially more constitutional, it's still the mother of bad ideas. Um, this is the worst policy decision that they can make. Um, and you know, as I said, the unanimity of opposition to this change is staggering. 5,500 different nonprofit groups have come out saying, we don't want this change. We're talking about the girl scouts. We're talking about, um, The Red Cross, Habitat for Humanity, even the National Council of Churches, the nonprofit is set up to talk about church, doesn't want this change. Um, More than 100 different religious demographics or religious denominations don't want this change. Just a a fun anecdote here. The other side put out a letter um, indicating how broad the support was for wanting to repeal the Johnson Amendment. They had 47 groups sign this letter. Of those 47 groups, half of them were state chapters of Focus on the Family or the Family Research Council, (laughs) half. And to to give you an idea of the scope of how many people are on our side, they had 47 signatures. We had 55 pages of signatures opposing the change. And so this is not something that's popular seven more than almost three quarters of americans don't want churches engaged in politics 90 percent of uh evangelical pastors don't want to engage in politics and the thing that you know this isn't an atheist issue this is a church issue um because churches don't the, the leaders of churches don't want some politician or some donor who is a benefactor for some politician walking in and saying Hey, that's a really nice soup kitchen you have there, and I've been donating a million dollars to it every year. I've been donating a bunch of money to it every year. And unless you endorse this candidate, my brother in law for city council, unless you endorse him, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop giving. They don't want that. It's, it's dangerous for churches. Um, it's dangerous, it's more dangerous for our democracy. Um, it's more dangerous when you know billions of dollars in unaccountable money is going into our democracy, but it's also dangerous for churches. And the last little bit that I want to highlight here is when the first financial analysis of the tax bill came out, the Joint Committee on Taxation estimated that the plan to just allow churches, not even all nonprofits, but just churches to endorse political candidates – would cost the federal government $2.1 billion over 10 years in lost tax revenue. So that's money that would have been collected in taxes that no longer is because it's being given to churches where you get a tax deduction. $2.1 billion over 10 years. That means, because it's just the tax ex- tax deductible portion of it that they're losing, that means that it's something closer to like 8 or $10 billion that's going into churches for political reasons over 10 years which means that you look at the total spending uh, on the 2016 election, it was something like six and a half billion. It means that the total amount of money spent on the federal election that year could be eclipsed by just allowing churches to donate, uh, to to speak out on political things.
0: And if there's one thing it seems like most people can agree on, regardless of which side of the aisle they fall on, if they fall on either side is that, Money in politics equals bad. Like qu- it, it, greed it, yeah. and
1: like... And especially, you know, money in politics is is a concern. Completely anonymous money in politics is a bigger concern. And completely anonymous, untraceable, completely opaque money um, is, is even yet another. And that's what this allows. And they can claim de minimis. They can claim that it wouldn't really increase spending. But we have no way of knowing.
0: So ideally, we know we don't want the Johnson Amendment to be repealed. Correct. But now if we were in a utopia world, which whatever, (laughs) but does the Johnson Amendment, I mean, let's say we don't, we don't, we have a candidate that comes in that doesn't want it repealed and is working, you know, to strengthen it. Is the Johnson Amendment, does it already go far enough? Or is the Johnson Amendment already as it is before we're trying to repeal it? Should it be stronger?
1: Yeah, that that's a good question um, I think that those of us who would support equality for everybody would say that if you want a, a, a government benefit you have to play by the same rules as everyone else um, giving you a tax deduction for donating to your church that's a benefit that's not a right and the government has in our in my opinion come down on the wrong side of you know of the needle here um, they're they're giving a special treatment to people religious groups um, that is not accessible to anyone else. And they, they try to play this shell game where they say, well, you could just apply as a church. Well, we don't want to apply as a church. We're not a church. And um, we're sort of contemplating like, okay, how can we use r- the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to invoke our religious views that we are not a religion and therefore shouldn't have to apply to be a religion because it imposes a burden on our religious views, which is the sort of thing where you know your mind kind of just goes into spirals, and you know uh, you need a drink after you think about it for too long. That's where we're at right now, because of how the court and how the government and how the administration have interpreted RIFRA over time. It's really, uh, it really forces you to to tie yourself into knots here. Um, all they would have to do uh, for the government to stay out of church's business. People are going to support their church whether or not they get a tax deduction. Um, This has been, like, they've looked at studies of this, um, the tax benefit. Most people don't itemize anyway, and so they don't take the benefit. They don't take the tax exemption benefit um, for supporting their church because, like, who cares? They tithe anyway. They don't need that tax deduction in order to tithe. If they view it as important, they're going to do it either way. If they want the tax exempt status in order or the tax deduction to do good works, like if that's what this is about, that's the whole point supposedly of tax deductions and tax exempt status is it allows you to do good things, do community service, do feed the hungry, house the homeless, et cetera, et cetera. You can spin that off and make it its own nonprofit and follow the same rules as everyone else. All we're talking about is equality here, um, but they don't want to do that. They they just they want to because quite frankly it sucks it's it's a it's a giant audit that you have to do that takes hundreds of hours um even for a you know a relatively modestly sized organization like american atheists we spend thousands of dollars on accountants to do this every year a church basically just says well we're a church god bless and and that's it that's all they have to do um and so yeah i i think the johnson amendment Isn't necessarily the the primary problem here. The primary problem is the the disparity in IRS Form nine ninety the the requirements for who has to disclose things. Um, The Johnson Amendment obviously is is not enforced as strongly as it should. But one of the problems is that the people who are so up in arms about oh the Johnson Amendment is silencing me. I'm being muzzled. They don't seem to actually know what the Johnson Amendment prohibits. They think it prohibits them from talking about like abortion or talking about gay rights or talking about whatever. uh, When it doesn't. Um, Churches are completely allowed to talk about issues of importance to them. They're completely allowed to endorse uh, bills and and matters before Congress. They're allowed to lobby members of Congress. They're allowed to have a lobby day. They're allowed to transport their members to the polls. They're allowed to do all of these things. We do it. You're allowed to. Um, Pastors are allowed to endorse people in their individual capacity. Um, They're allowed to run for office. I mean, Mike Huckabee was a Christian pastor, right? He ran for president multiple times. Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty University, Robert Jeffress, the pastor of uh, Trinity something or other down in Dallas, um, uh, Pat Robertson, all all of these people run ministries and endorsed Donald Trump. So clearly if the Johnson Amendment did what they said it does and throws pastors in jail or whatever, um, they would be the ones there because you know Barack Obama the the evil Satan would have, would have done it I, I assume I don't I don't know how this whole fever dream of theirs works, but um it it's nonsense and you know they're 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 stirring up they're're they're ginning up uh, animosity and and lies about what this does to try to get the tax deduction, get the lack of transparency and and do even more politicking than they already do. Um, and so, you know, we need to enforce the laws we already have, um, but we need to be clear about what the law actually says, and it's not what they say it says.
0: Yeah, I just, I remember, I used to be an evangelical fundy, and I remember my pastor, this was like 10 years ago, we, we had you know pamphlets that they handed out at church before election days on these are the candidates that are pro-life, these are the candidates that are pro-choice, we know which ones you should vote for. At no point, they, like... After It was only after I became an atheist and only after I started getting involved in any kind of activism that I learned that some of the things that they were doing, they weren't technically even supposed to do, but that a lot of the other things they were doing were perfectly fine. Yeah,
1: and and what you just mentioned, the sort of scorecards, like just listing a candidate's position – is not politicking. That's education. And we do that all the time. And you're allowed to. American Atheists, any 501c3 is allowed to say, okay, here's where the candidate stands on the following issues. And we're going to highlight what issues we care about, obviously. But that's just education. That's taking their positions and copy paste. But just adding the words, so therefore go vote for candidate A, that's where you cross the line. That's where it crosses over from education into expressed political advocacy. And the taxpayers should not be subsidizing my political speech. They should not be subsidizing speech that they don't believe in. If you want to support a candidate, go support your candidate, but don't demand a special dispensation from the government to, to, to to fund that, to underwrite that, that that's not, that's not America. That's not your right. Um, And that, that's what this is about. The, The educational stuff they're completely allowed to do that and and they 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 so desperately desire to be oppressed that they make up ways they're being oppressed which is Hilarious. All
0: right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I think I've taken up enough of your time t- tonight.
1: I, I, I think I'm the one taking up time, but I, I, I <laughs> you, you sat, you were there very. Uh, you, you gave you gave me more than enough time to uh, to blather on. So I, again, I as I said, I appreciate hearing my own voice. So it's I'm I'm glad that someone else was here to hear my voice in person. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, we're gonna let you go, and uh, thank you, listeners. And you know what? Stay tuned. Listen to American Atheist Viewpoint after the next commercial break. And then if this, you may have noticed that this episode was a little truncated is that a word truncated that's a word
1: definitely word truncated is definitely a word
0: so this episode was like kind of compressed you may have noticed a few things missing download the podcast version you will hear the completely unedited um version where we are swearing up a storm ton of profanity yeah so much profanity total hedonism as any atheist would in fact we will share our recipes once again for how to eat a baby i'm gonna cut that out um (laughs) 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 all right well thank you Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk. This entire unedited conversation is available in our podcast feed and on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash atheist talk. I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheists and I hope that you've enjoyed the show. This show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, and donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at mnatheist.org or our Patreon page. The podcast for this show should be available right now. Have a fantastic Sunday, eat some leftover stuffing and cranberries for lunch, and we look forward to being live again next Sunday with Deborah, the Heretic Woman from Beyond the Trailer Park podcast. This has been Atheist Talk on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota.